Gentlemen, my name is O.J. Shabazz, and it is my distinct privilege to welcome you to yet uh, another edition in this series of lessons that I've chosen to entitle The Revelation, Inspiration, and Illumination of the Word of God, Fact or Fiction. I would quickly remind you that this is our fourth installment in this multi-part series of lessons. I do want to express my appreciation to those of you that have offered words of encouragement and uh, continue to encourage me to continue in these series of studies. I also would like to ask you to grab a Bible as we make our way through this study today. I've already in previous videos uh, given you a cursory view of the notions of revelation, what God did, inspiration, how God did it, uh, illumination, why God did it. And I think that we've given you a fairly good cursory view of those matters. In our last video uh, study together, we began breaching the subject of oral tradition. As many of you know, this is not at all a new allegation or alleged concern that has been leveled to invalidate the Bible as the Word of God. And it kind of goes something like this. If the Bible is replete with instances of oral tradition where oral stories were handed down from one person to another person, then certainly one could not vest their hope, trust, and confidence in their soul salvation because of oral tradition. Uh, during the early years of what came to be known as a critical, uh, um, a critical textual analysis and even by many laypersons, this quibble has been leveled against the Bible, the Word of God. Well, as you know, I am here to affirm unconditionally that the Bible, as we now have it today, when a dependable translation of it is read and considered, is very much the verbal, plenary, inerrant inspiration of God. And so then, I want to do a second installment today relative to uh, an understanding of oral tradition. Let me give you a roadmap to follow as we make our way through this study today. In order to provide what I believe is a more holistic view of this very vast subject of oral tradition and oral transmission, there are three components that I want you to consider. Number one, the mode relative to oral tradition. Number two, the method or the process uh, wherein uh, oral transmission takes place. And then third of all, the result or the resultant of oral tradition and oral transmission. I also want to assert the notion that as I look at many uh, questions and, and many statements that are made, uh, I get the impression that there is a constant indictment made against people who believe in sacred writing, people who believe in the Holy Bible, that they are not thinkers. Uh, they are individuals who blindly accept whatever is told them without probing, without investigation, and subsequently without using their cognitive abilities to think. Uh, my judgment is that is an absolute preposterous and ridiculous uh, uh, assertion, let alone charge, 
you really cannot be a serious student of the mind of God as it is manifested in the Bible without being not only a thinker, but a critical thinker. I don't, in my judgment, believe that this is a matter of whether one thinks or not. I believe that this is a matter of how one thinks. I want to suggest to you that as I approach these three points today, the mode of oral tradition, the method of oral transmission, and the resultant or the, the end process, that it seems to me there are two ways to think. There is what I call a top-down thinker and a bottom-up thinker. A top-down thinker seems to take a perception and move from that perception down to cognition or that which they believe has brought them awareness or knowledge or some accurate conclusion. They kind of work from the top down and their perceptions as a premise, they start matriculating their way down looking for further support to support their preconceived premise. That's what I call a top-down thinker. Uh, I like to consider myself a bottom-up thinker. In other words, much like building a house, you start at the foundation and you concisely and meticulously build your way up before you reach a conclusion. There is too much to consider between the start at the bottom and the top, which, which leads one to a conclusion. And many of the assertions that I hear made uh, makes me think that this has been approached not because of thinking or not thinking, but because of the kind of thinking that individuals engage. It seems to more smack of top-down thinking. I start out with a premise, a presupposition, I work my day, way down, often in my working my way down in the cognitive or cognition process, we don't really consider all of the precise, intricated, and critical information that is needed to reach an accurate conclusion. So in this approach with bottom-up kind of thinking, we're going to consider some precise, uh, intricated facts associated with this thing about oral tradition. Again, if you're just now tuning in, what I'm talking about today is the, this is part four, but in the part two, a consideration of oral tradition, I want to talk about the mode, the method, and then the resultant or, or, or the result. Let me get this out of the way. Um, let me say to you that I do not know of any serious student of sacred writing or of the Bible who is not mindful of the component of oral tradition. It's interesting to me how there seem to be those who think that we are a community of blind people who are not aware of and has not considered the fact that there is undeniably uh, a component from time to time seen in scriptures that is identified as oral tradition. Uh, I, you know, over the years in my many levels of training and, 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 and being mentored uh, by serious students of the scriptures, the notion of oral tradition and oral transmission has always been considered and studied and at each level of my exposure to training, each time oral tradition and oral transmission has been probed and has been studied and has been viewed at perhaps an even deeper level as time matriculates. So I want to say to you, I don't know of any uh, serious student of the Bible that's not aware of this component known as oral tradition yet. I want to assert to you that the allegation 
that because there is the presence of oral tradition, that it is somehow an indictment against the veracity, and when I say veracity, the truthfulness of what we read in the Bible, the sacred writings of God today. It is absolutely uh, unfounded and no premise uh, to which one should look to undermine uh, their view of the Holy Bible as the verbal, plenary, inerrant inspiration of Almighty God. Now, in Luke chapter 1, 1 to 4, I've read this text to you in our last video. Luke obviously brings to bear the fact that he had consulted with eyewitnesses, that in fact they had transmissioned to him oral accounts in uh, like manner in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. John makes it very clear that he was an eyewitness, and in addition to the eyewitness account, that there is an oral transmission of these truths that lead into his final resultant, which is documenting or writing uh, sacred writings. So the Bible is very clear about this. What concerns me is the continued attempt of American people in a Western culture trying to interpret a first century document that comes out of an Eastern culture with a Western language, with a Western paradigm of what we believe is right and wrong, true and false, and how we define words. I've suggested to you that it is uh, an assurity that you will miss the import of God's holy messages if you continue to try to interpret or understand this first century document with a 20th century mindset, and if you continue to use English words to define what God has revealed through Chaldean Hebrew, through classical Koine Greek, and uh, through Aramaic. So I've suggested that we always want a definitional perspective, but that definitional perspective concerning the Bible needs to come from God and not from what men have to say about God. So I always look for a definitional perspective from the scriptures. And I don't mean to be redundant, but I've said this in virtually every video. If people continue to use the Bible to discredit the Bible, I'm going to use the Bible to credit the Bible. If not, why not? If you don't accept credibility, then don't level indictments from the book. So I, I have no apprehensions about reaching for internal evidences. And by internal evidences, I mean facts, truths, therefore evidence that comes from within sacred writings or from within the Holy Scriptures. Now, let me say to you this word tradition concerns me. And it concerns me because I think that as people read posts on the internet and as they view questions, that the word tradition smacks of a Western connotation. Ladies and gentlemen, a tradition can be nothing more than a long-held belief or practice that's not necessarily connected to any explicit fact or evidence, if it is a mere tradition. And that's why many say this is nothing but more mere myth or fables or stories or things that have been made up 
and handed down from one generation to another because, after all, it's nothing but oral tradition. It smacks with the definition of nothing more than a long-held belief or a practice that's not necessarily connected to any explicit facts or evidence. And that is exactly the opposite of the connotation of oral tradition and oral transmission as we look and view at this very critical historical document known as the Holy Bible. Don't confuse the mode with the method. Don't confuse the mode or the style that is called oral tradition with the method or the process of conveying information. And that's why I gave you these three components, the mode, the method, and then the result. And I'm doing it again from a bottom-up kind of, of, of thinking because there's too much that people seem to omit as they build up from the bottom to the top. And you'll surely miss it if you try to think your way from a presupposition or a premise and then go looking for evidence and proof as you think from the top down. Again, don't confuse the mode or the style that is called oral tradition with the result of, 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 of what we have in the final analysis because there are the components of oral tradition, oral transmission, and then a very critical step that is involved in the result, which is called inspiration. And that's where I've been going in, in, in each of these videos because people do not seem to have a healthy respect, let alone a healthy view of verbal, plenary, inerrant inspiration, the theonusta of God, that which God breathed. So I'm distinguishing then between oral tradition and oral transmission. And I'm discouraging the notion that you think in terms of tradition as somebody who sat down once or twice a year with a group of people and told a story and then they told other people the story. And then at some point down through the centuries, someone sat down and wrote it down. And then when we consider our Western culture definition of tradition, we say, well, this is just a lot of fables and myths and stories and parables and things that have been made up by human beings. And one will certainly come to that conclusion if you don't understand the critical components that are involved in oral tradition and oral transmission. The Bible relays oral tradition but not, or rather, oral transmission, but the oral transmission, the content of oral tr transmission, as is revealed in the Bible, is not the result of tradition. And certainly not from the unhealthy vantage point of it just being a lot of storytelling and so forth. What I started to do in this video is to give you a lot of intricated information, which I opted not to do so. Uh, about the culture of oral tradition in that uh, day and time, uh, in antiquity, uh, a time for which they had an entirely different level of reverence and respect, and the intricated processes that were involved in oral transmission, something vastly different from that which has ever been practiced in the United States of America. There was, in fact, in antiquity schools that dealt with the notion of being trained in oral tra uh, tra tradition. 
The other thing that kind of eats at me as we consider just the premise of oral tradition is that virtually every work in our uh, culture that you consider the definition and application of oral tradition, it more describes something that was handed down over centuries. And after centuries of being handed down, then at some point someone wrote it down. I want to suggest to you, for instance, when you look at the Gospels, and the Gospels are written after the period of time of many of the epistles in the New Testament, you're talking about a short proximity of time, Jesus ending his earthly ministry, A.D. 33, and then the Gospels, or rather uh, the Gospel writers beginning to record about A.D. 55. You're talking about three decades or less, not centuries, but, you know, 30 years uh, when these, what we allege are oral tradition, they start practicing oral transmission and then writing down the events that have taken place. It doesn't at all fit the classic uh, reference. And the reason why I'm laboring with this is because I, I'm hoping that you have at least an informed understanding of the components that come into play when we are considering oral tradition and oral transmission. So again, uh, when we consider uh, oral tradition, we are talking about uh, the mode or the style. When we talk about oral transmission, we're talking about the method or the process. And let me quickly say that in the notion of oral transmission comes into play the third component, uh, which is inspiration. Now, let me give you a premise here. Irrespective of an obvious period in time where people engaged more in oral tradition than they did in that which was written, because many people did not write, many people did not even speak uh, some of the languages, um, between that time and the time when these documents, when these documents are recorded, we have excluded the divine component, which is inspiration. Irrespective of what Luke learned from eyewitnesses or from credible accounts, by the time Luke sat down to write, he does not merely write what he's been told by eyewitnesses. If what he had been told by eyewitnesses differed from the truth, then the Holy Spirit, through Theonustia, or through God-breathed inspiration, led him as to the words God wanted him to write. People are giving individuals the impression that the standalone consideration of oral tradition invalidates the Word of God, and it does if you continue to dismiss the divine component of inspirations. These guys did not just write down what they were told. What they were told, irrespective of whom it was that told them that, by the time, whether through investigation, uh, eyewitness account, or whatever, when they wrote it down, they wrote it down not based on the tradition they heard, but by the guidance of God's Holy Spirit. And that's how we can know that this continues to be the verbal, plenary, inerrant inspiration of Almighty God. 
I'm mindful of one occasion, and it's just one of a number of other occasions in the scriptures where Jesus himself would publicly rebuke the Pharisees as a result of their oral traditions uh, and practicing those oral traditions as the commandment of God. The clear inference of texts like Mark 7, verses 6 to 9, where Jesus rebukes them for practicing, for doctrine, the commandments of men, is a smack at the oral traditions that the Pharisees had come to view as the will of God, and Jesus rejected the notion of improper, unsubstantiated, unfactual, untruthful traditions being practiced because they came orally. And if you look analytically at Mark 7, 6 to 9, it's just one of several occasions when Jesus leveled that level of censure or correction or rebuke against individuals who rely only on man-humanistic stories that have been related that contradicts the truth and the facts which were revealed by Almighty God. So when we talk about this animal of oral lure or oral tradition, it is not at all any valid reason to say I can't trust my salvation to the Bible because I see oral tradition. The, the missing component in the notion of oral tradition and oral transmission is the inspiration of God. The fact that uh, even though it is an oral tradition culture, it is an oral transmission culture, when we get to the point of recording scripture, we now are in a, uh, a venue where the guidance of God and the teaching of God himself is very much present. I want to ask you to consider that while Jesus was yet on earth, that he made certain assurances to the disciples and other men who would be inspired of the promise that they would be guided and the promise that they would be taught the words that they should speak and subsequently the words that they should write. In the gospel according to John, chapter 16 and verse 13, Jesus says to his disciples, how be it, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. It was a promise of guidance. So this promise of guidance in the process of oral transmission to that which is written must involve the component of divine guidance. Not only the notion of divine guidance, but also the promise of divine teaching. For instance, in the Gospel according to John 14, 26, and by that I mean chapter 14, in verse 26, the Bible reads, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. 
So irrespective in regard to oral tradition, what eyewitnesses said to others who said to others when these men got to the, uh, the, to the resultant step of recording uh, sacred writings, they were taught or the Holy Spirit brought to their remembrance even the things that Jesus had said unto them orally or verbally while he was yet with them on earth. I don't want to uh, try to over inundate you with, with, with a plethora of scriptures, but let me give you just two or three more. In 1 John 2.27, the Bible says, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as, some, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Let me read it again. John just asserts the fact that uh, what they were taught and what they subsequently wrote uh, was not merely based on some teaching that they received from man, but the teaching that they received resulted from their being anointed or endowed with the gift of inspiration. Again, 1 John 2.27, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. It, it, it is an inextricable component to the notion of the result or the resultant process, even considering oral tradition, oral transmission, and then leading up to the point where these men recorded these truths. I, I love this context because it is so explanative. Peter, having been so moved by what he himself saw on the Mount of Transfiguration, one of the accounts recorded in the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 17, nonetheless, Peter, having been so convicted and moved by what he himself witnessed, gave this account in 2 Peter 1, 16 to 21. Again, that's uh, 2 Peter 1, 16 to 21. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. That's explanative enough. We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him of the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Uh, hear ye him. And this voice we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. And then he comes to this premise. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. And I'm going to suggest to you that while the King James translation used the words prophecy, perhaps a tighter translation would hear for clarity would be teaching. We have also a more sure word of teaching. Wherefore ye do well that ye take heed, heed to what? To the teaching. As unto the light that shineth in the dark place, unto the day dawn, and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy or teaching of the scriptures is of any private interpretation. Often the traditional view of this context has been uh, nobody's uh, allowed the right to give what they think the scriptures say. 
I'm not sure that that conveys the accurateness or at least the wholeness of what Peter was saying in his authorial intent. What Peter was really saying is no one has the right to claim themselves as the origin of the words that they teach. And he goes on to offer for further evidence for the prophecy or the teaching came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. My question is, what then does that do to the simple notion of oral tradition or oral transmission? We are not repudiating that oral tradition was not a fixture of that then culture. We are not repudiating the fact that there was obviously, unquestionably, the consistent practice of not only oral tradition, but oral transmission. But one cannot dismiss the divine component of verbal plenary inspiration in the resultant or the end process of inspiration or in the end process uh, that even includes oral uh, tradition and oral transmission. Let me read the part B clause of this context to you again. By part B clause, I'm referencing about verse 21. For the prophecy or the teaching came not in old time by the will of man. So this is not about what men said and that's it. And uh, we record these myths and fables and stories and unsubstantiated facts and truths that are really quibbles and myths and, and, and so forth. The Bible internally gives evidences uh, contrary to that school of thought. And this is why I think it's important for individuals who are, who are on, a, on a foundation or a basic level trying to understand uh, this quibble against the Bible of oral tradition and oral transmission that we use a bottom-up thinking as opposed to a top-down thinking. When I use that bottom-up thinking, I'm including these intricate pieces of valuable information that help us understand the conclusion. You can't start with a premise and then argue down to uh, cognition. You, you, you've got to entertain and you've got to think, but you don't think from the top down, you think from the bottom up and you consider all of the intricated, pertinent and critical information. And ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you today relative to the subject of oral tradition and oral transmission in terms of what we find in the Holy Scriptures. If we continue to ignore, to reject, to dismiss the divine component of verbal, plenary, inerrant inspiration, then it is only logical that people reject the Bible because they do not have a healthy definitional perspective of oral tradition. They do not understand uh, the veracity or the truthfulness of its existence in their culture, how it was practiced, how it was regarded, uh, how it was transferred. And in a culture so radically different from our level of reverence and alleged respect uh, for traditions that's handed down. And again, I want to continue to emphasize, don't drink the Kool-Aid. And the Kool-Aid is filled with the notion that oral tradition is nothing more than a belief or practice that's not necessarily connected to any explicit facts or evidence. And as you argue your way down, next comes the allegation that people who believe in the Bible believe in it blindly without considering all of the evidences and the facts, and many of them don't know this. Well, I don't make it a topic of constant conversation as I stand before the people of God 
and uh, teach the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ because this has no credibility in terms of indicting the veracity or the truthfulness of what we have in a dependable translation of the, the Bible in our nowadays times. I, I think that the Apostle Paul made this explicit in terms of oral transmission, albeit in this instance and in this context, it is God who was orally transmission, transmitting it is God who is orally transmitting or verbally transmitting what Paul was to write, but it was done with words which the Holy Ghost teaches, not with stories that someone else told him. And I'm not suggesting that even Paul may not have received oral information, but the undisputable fact of the matter is at the time of transmission, at the time when he resulted by writing it down, he wrote that by the words that God wanted written and not simply the words that some other man told him. Again, in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 beginning, but it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him but hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in words that man's wisdom teacheth, but words which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. It, 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 is, it is undeniably a fact that Paul introduces the divine component of verbal plenary inspiration and this is why it is viewed as inerrant, because man, uh, it is not merely a byproduct of humanistic ingenuity and wisdom comprised of myths and fables and stories and half-truths that have been handed down generation and, you know, century after century, having some good dude sit down at some point, wrote it down, and then blamed it on God. Top-down thinking. Top-down thinking. It is not bottom-up thinking. And you've, in your thinking process, you have omitted uh, this uh, divine component. Now, ladies and gentlemen, perhaps I shouldn't say this this way, but it's kind of in my mind to say it this way. If people reject the Word of God, you just je reject it. God created man a moral free agent. People have a right to reject what is in the Bible. But people do not have the right to misrepresent as a basis of rejection. If we reject it because we choose of our own volition to not accept the credibility of its factualness and its truth and the intellectual facts and truths associated with it, that's one animal, as it were. But to tell people you should not uh, trust your salvation into a book that is replete or, you know, often found with oral tradition, because oral tradition is nothing but stories and myths, you don't have a healthy definition or perspective of oral tradition, let alone of what was involved in oral tradition. So if we're going to think, let's think. 
And if we're going to study, let, let's not just study that which is antithetical, but if we're going to level a claim against the Bible, at least have the, um, the carefulness to make it uh, one that is truthful. And I'm convinced that this is no reason for you, ladies and gentlemen. It is no reason for you, brothers and sisters, to go away with the notion that the Bible as we have it today cannot be trusted. Well, I'm not going to take up a lot of your time today. I do want to say one or two other things. I have been guilty of going on rants at some point in these videos. And so let me forewarn you that I'm going to take uh, a short stint in the form of a rant. I continue to assert the fact that I'm sure that there are many people who are Bible believers who are not as informed as others. My job is to be informed. I am a student of the Word of God, and that is the mission of my life. And my responsibility is to convey to others the truth. As I've dug and studied and researched and understood, that then is my responsibility. And I make no indictment against uh, any community of believers who believe in the Bible as the Word of God because they are not as informed and as knowledgeable. However, it is absolutely ludicrous to suggest that all Christian people, or this phrase that is often thrown about, Christian people. Why do Christian people? Well, you're talking to me. Uh, I, I'm a Christian people, and I know that's bad English, but you understand my point. Uh, and I certainly am aware of the notion of oral tradition and oral transmission and some of these alleged, and again, I assert that the, 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 the notion of alleged means unsubstantiated and, and, and unproved. And I know that there are those out there who are tired of hearing this, but these are not new. This has been around a long, 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 long time. And I've said this before. I wish I had time to just walk around my library and show you the volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes of books that have been written decade after decade after decade uh, relative to these same subjects. And brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, those of you that have studied um, religious topics, uh, biblical subjects, if you've, if you've done your bachelor's degree, if you've done your master's degree, if you've done post-grad work, then, then certainly you've been exposed to these kinds of subjects and these kinds of considerations. You are also mindful of the fact of the importance of the circle of context, where we employ not only the immediate, remote, and ultimate context, but the linguistical context, the canonical context, and the historical context. And I keep leveling these arguments out of not only the linguistic context, that means the words as they are used in a verse and what they really mean in that verse out of that language. I've continued to reach for cultural context because I'm cognizant of the fact that you're not going to be successful by being too lazy to not take the time to understand a first century genre of writings, a first century culture and practices, and try to interpret it through Western civilization words and subsequent definitions and our culture and how we view things. Of course you don't understand. Of course it does not make sense to you. And last of all, if one consistently dismisses the divine component from it, then there is no uh, other conclusion but a false conclusion uh, to be reached. I contend that a false premise, no matter how well argued, may only lead to a false conclusion. One may not start out with a false premise or premise that is untrue and unfounded and study one's way to a truthful conclusion. 
any proof text that you use out of the Bible to try to discredit uh, the truthfulness of the word, any proof text taken out of its context becomes only a pretext and not at all a proof text. Well, Brother Shabazz, that's a lot of words. What are you saying? What is a pretext? Ladies and gentlemen, pretext is when somebody takes a proof text, pulls it out of its context, and offer it as proof. If we, if we understand this, this wonderful book called the Holy Bible, in, in whom you certainly, uh, in, in which you may certainly view as nothing other than the verbal plenary inerrant uh, word of God, then, then, then certainly you want to study it in its historical context, linguistic context, canonical context, uh, immediate, remote, and ultimate context. Linguistics is important because the book is a book of words. And it comes out of another language, and one therefore must consider that language before we start offering these brazen, broad, unspecified, general kind of allegations and so forth that obviously to me is void of a person understanding uh, from, a, from a biblical definitional perspective many of the scriptures that they attempt to use because they're using it out of context. It's not what I get out of it or what you get out of it. It's about what God intended at the time that he revealed it. So this is then just a tad bit more. I wish that I had weeks and weeks and weeks because I literally could spend all year long on this consideration alone of, of oral tradition and oral transmission. It is not enough for you to drop your Bible and go running. And in order to not do so, think. Look at the facts and the truths, and not merely information that's offered as an antithetical position to it. And while I consider, I've had to study the antithetical because I can't offer answers if I don't understand the questions. So I have to spend an equal amount of time trying to understand what the objections are, when they are credible injection, uh, objections, when they are serious. I, I admit, and I'm not suggesting I'm anybody, but I admit there's some that I just, I don't even read them anymore I, because to me, they're not serious. You know, they're not being not being serious. And, and, and I've seen this kind of thing down through the many, 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 many years of people who constantly make these allegations and charges and unsubstantiated and in a very unfair way by, you know, uh, you know, just using a lot of sarcasm and and, you know, attacks and so forth without any substantiating facts, you know, without any sources of their facts or, you know, any report of how they came to believe what they believe. What I've given you is a roadmap in every video. How I got to that conclusion, what evidences were involved, whether it was internal, external, the whole nine yards, because what I've given you is fact. The revelation, the inspiration, and the illumination of the Word of God. Even the Bible is the Word of God? Fact. Or it's not. Fiction. And I'm here today to say that the Bible is undeniably, unconditionally, the verbal, plenary, inerrant inspiration of God in which I put my faith, my hope, my trust, and my confidence. And I'm going to quit now so that I don't get off into another rant about this whole notion of belief. And people, well, you know something is foolish when it entails belief. Man, are you kidding? Are you kidding me? In what vein of life can any human person leave that does not entail some manifestation of belief? I, I can't take that seriously. Uh, there is no component of life. And no one can be successful in 
arguing such a proposition without exposing the fact that they themselves are a people of belief and faith and hope and trust and confidence on some level. So it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that kind of assertion and why I should take that as a, a serious concern because there is no component of life that does not entail on some level belief or faith or hope or trust or confidence is absolutely positively unequivocally ludicrous. And I make no indictment against the person I'm dealing with. The philosophy is what I'm dealing with. And, and that's ludicrous. I, I have faith in God. I have faith in the Bible. I have faith in the Holy Spirit. I have faith in Jesus Christ. And I offer no apology for that whatsoever, and, and neither should you. Well, our time is gone. I cannot thank you enough for giving me your very valuable time on this very uh, busy Saturday afternoon. Please uh, like and share this video. I'm trying to get the word out. I don't know how many more of these videos I will do. I'm not sure that this what I'm doing is even helping, uh, but I wanted to just breach some of this. I've said to you over and over again that I literally could take Revelation alone and spend all year. Revelation, uh, uh, inspiration alone and spend all year. Illumination alone. Uh, many of the intricated associates to these topics. You know, you could do a whole year's college course or whatever uh, on each of these. But I want to give you enough uh, as a premise for you to study further, dig further, research further. And I'm here to say, you're looking at one man whoever continues to have his hope, trust, and confidence in the Bible as the verbal plenary inerrant inspiration of God. Now, don't do so blindly or because I'm some weak man who needs something to lean on. The truth is just the truth. God bless you, and my prayer is that the God of eternal salvation will bless all of you and that he will bless you real good.